Good to be with you guys. Didn't know if I was going to make it. I was literally running across my neighborhood this morning chasing my little dog. We have an invisible fence uh, that my grandfather uh, put into the ground, and uh, basically it shocks the silly out of the dog until they know to stay in your yard. And uh, now I'm going to put it up this afternoon again, and I I have a a worry that I'm going to be a little bit too excited about him getting his first shock after chasing him all over the... So I'm glad I'm here. I made it. Out of breath and smelly, but I'm here. Excited to be with you. God uh, did a work in my life this week, uh, which was exciting. There's times when um, we come to the Word of God and we, we aren't excited about it because it's, it's painful and it's cutting, and it has the potential to really um, expose who we are. And God did that through His Word in my life this week. And... Because I want what's best for you, I'm, I'm praying that God will do that this morning as well in your life, that he will expose the areas that we need to recommit back to him, that we will be ready to, to really honestly evaluate our lives before a holy God. Um, let's pray because that has to be from the Spirit of God that that happens in our life because our flesh will block that, our flesh will, will fight against that. Uh, we will not be willing in our own strength to acknowledge that we're falling short, but the Spirit of God will reveal what is true in our lives and and what is genuine and what needs a a radical change and commitment back to the Lord. So let's pray. Jesus, we're excited um, about you this morning. Excited because we were lost and you made the way for us to be found. But Father, there are still so many times that I feel lost, that I uh, bring myself back to the sin that, that, that I uh, once had no choice but to do because I was lost and trapped in it. But now that I've been set free, now that I've been saved, I don't have to be in bondage to sin, and yet I visit it, and I welcome it in, and, and it brings darkness where there should be light, and it brings lies where there should be truth. And Father, this morning, even before you, I need to acknowledge that I have to have a radical change in my life if I'm going to acknowledge myself as a Christ follower in front of people. God, give us a a good litmus test this morning about where we stand with you. I pray this in your spirit and through uh, through Jesus' name. Amen. Turn, if you would, to 1 John. We're going to be in verse uh, chapter 2, starting in verse 3. I'm going to be referencing an article that um, did a really nice job of explaining these verses, verse 3 to verse 11, by a man named David Levy. So know that uh, much of, um, well, really all of what I'm going to talk about today was learned from other people and their work in, inside of the Word. There's no new great revelations that I drew off on myself, but relied on other men that, that loved the Lord and, and uh, were able to explain it clearly. And so this article um, by David Levy is going to be uh, one that I reference quite frequently. So if something sounds really smart and really good, and I forget to say, by the way, that quote was from David Levy. Just know it was, because not much smart and good comes out of me. So you'll recognize it. Thank you, Keith. That's helpful. So verse John 2, verse 3. And uh, before this, and, and I'm thankful, we'll reference Dad's message. But Dad's message last week, if you need to go back and listen to it. And we need to be thankful that we've been saved. Move from darkness into light because of what Jesus did on our behalf. You see, out of context from last week's message, uh, as I started to study 
these verses, they begin to make you feel uncomfortable about your standing with the Lord Jesus. They begin on their own, apart from the knowledge that we know last week that we can confess our sins and he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Without that knowledge, these verses would be terrifying and they're still pretty terrifying in themselves. So that's enough build up. Let's get, uh, get into it and read here. Verse 3. By this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. The one who says, I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his commandments, I'm sorry, whoever keeps his word, in him the love of God has truly been perfected. By this we know that we are in him. The one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. Beloved, I'm not writing a new commandment to you, but an old commandment, which you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you have heard. On the other hand, I am writing a new commandment to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. The one who says he is in the light and yet hates his brother is in the darkness until now. The one who loves his brother abides in the light and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But the one who hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Mr. Levy uh, points out that this chapter, these verses, verses 3 to 11, nine verses that, that are a test for us and our faith, a test of do we really know God? Do we know God? And so inside the test, I have a few places in your outline if you have it. Be here. I want you to write in it, if you will, next to the, the title, uh, where it says 2, 3 to 11. I want you to write the test of knowing God next to it, please. And there's three tests that we're going to find in this chapter that will help us to understand if we truly do know God. And so right next to uh, point A there, by this we know we have come to know him, I want you to write the test of applying. If you write that there. And then right next to point B, if you could write the test of abiding. And then skip down, all the way down, it's under uh, point C, and then you'll head down, and it'll be whoever says 2-9. Next to that, I'd like you to write the test of affection. Because as you see, we're going to have a positive statement and a negative statement, and this happens, this repeats three different times throughout the chapter where we see a positive, and then we see the negative of it as well. And so let's uh, dig in together as we walk through that. Verse 3 is, is jam-packed, and really we need to get some understanding on, on what it is that it means so that we can understand the rest of the concepts as well. He says this, verse 3, By this we know that we have come to know him, if we keep his commandments. Now the, the knowing that it's talking about here in this verse, this is an, a knowledge that we can gain through personal experience. 
This is a knowledge that we can obtain as we interact with God. As we follow His precepts, we as believers can be certain that our relationship with the Lord is ongoing or abiding. And vice versa, we can know uh, by that same measure whether or not we are not abiding. But this knowledge is not some distant knowledge that this verse is talking about. This is an experiential knowing God, a very personal, intimate knowledge that it's talking about here. So it says, by this we know that we have come to know Him, to know God, if we keep His commandments. Now the commandments that it's talking about here in context are not the Mosaic law. This isn't the, uh, the law going back to the time of Moses. We're not talking about the, necessarily the Ten Commandments and that's it. But we're talking about the precepts that have been taught to us uh, by Jesus and by the disciples and by the apostles. That's the commandments that we're referencing here. And it says, We will know that we know Him if we keep His commandments. The word keep inside this verse is interesting. You see, uh, keep in this context, means to guard with reverence the precepts learned, not only by observing, but obeying them and regarding them as precious. So now as you've un- we've uncovered a little bit about what each of those means, word means, let's read it again. By this we know that experiential knowledge of God, that we have come to know Him, If we keep, guard, protect, revere His commandments, love one another. Mr. Levy says this, Christians who possess a growing love for Christ will have a passionate desire and determination to honor God's precepts. Doing so will give them an internal or experiential knowledge that they walk in fellowship with God the Father through Christ. This is true in my own life. If I could give a testimony, this is, this is true. In the times where I have uh, yielded my life, not of my own strength, but with the Spirit, the times that I have been obedient to follow after closely the words of Jesus and, and, and try to imitate Him in my life, have been the times that without question, I know that I have a relationship with him. I know that I'm in close fellowship with him. I understand clearly that I belong to the Father. And it's in those times of obedience that I am without a shadow of a doubt in my own mind and my own heart, confident that I have this personal relationship with the Lord Jesus. And that's what this verse is saying, that those of us that know Jesus can really know that we know them if we keep his commandments. Verse 4. The one who says, this is the negative of the verse, of of, of verse 3. But the one who says, I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments, this is strong language, is a liar. And the truth is not in him. Those of us that say that we know him, but don't honor his commandments, what he's asked of us, we're liars. 
and the truth is not in us. That's startling. Because I could stand up here and tell you several times where I have not kept his commandment, and yet I would tell you that I know him. I would continually tell you, yeah, I know God. And yet for me to, to say that I know God, but then to continue to disobey his commandments is proving that I'm a liar, that I truly do not know God. The truth is not in him. Now, I, I, I want to be careful. There's interpretation here that, that we need to go back, and, and I'm, okay, I'm okay with us to squirm a little bit when it comes to our salvation and to reevaluate at different points and to uh, make, a, a, not an estimation, but make an evaluation of where we stand before the holy God of the universe. That's a, that's a healthy exercise for us to evaluate that and make sure that we're in right standing with the Lord. But again, we need to reference uh, back to Dad's message last, uh, last week and even in the first two um, verses here in, in chapter 2. Let me read those. My little children, I'm writing you these things, verse 1, so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. You see, he's writing here to let us know that we have salvation. We've had uh, a right standing because of our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. But now then, why would he go right into this and say, but those of us that have come to know him, that say, or those of us that say we know him but don't keep his commandments, we're lying. And the truth is not in us. You see, I think it's possible for us to be in right standing with the Lord based only on the work of the Lord Jesus Christ and what he has done, while still at different times in our lives not truly knowing God. See, I think sin has the ability to really cloud our understanding and our ability to know God in such a sense that we can be saved of our sins uh, because of a, the, the work done on the cross and yet be in sin and continuing to be disobedient to the Lord to the point that our knowledge of God is slipping. Our knowledge of God is not clear. Because here in verse 4 he says, those of us that say we know him but do not keep his commandments, that person is a liar. And the truth is not in him. Some strong words. I think that's worth some examination uh, in our lives about that relationship that even if we have the confidence that we are saved from our sins and positionally we have been made right before the Lord, as believers, we still have the ability to sin. We still have the ability to turn our back on a, on a loving and holy God. And when we do so, we don't know Him the way we should. You see, if we really knew God and we really understood God's character and what He desires of us, and if we had a, a, a real understanding, both at the, the head level of knowledge and, and the heart level of, of connection and understanding, uh, the character of God, if we really understood and believed what we say we believed, what would be the response?
to walk in the light. Obedience, right? And so this verse has some very scary language that it's using here where it's saying, and we need to search it out more, but those of us that, that say, yeah, I know him, but then don't keep his commandments, we're lying to ourselves. We don't truly know God in, in that area at least because we are sinning against him. We're choosing to go against what is right and what is good. A dangerous place for a believer to be. I, I, I believe firmly in the finished work of Christ that, that uh, we have, um, that we cannot lose our salvation, that we have real security because of uh, the finished work of Christ. And yet our relationship with the Lord inside our walk with him can be damaged by our own actions. And in this case, I believe this is an example of, of when we uh, disobey God, if we continue to go against what he has said is right, and then at the same time pretend that we know him, John's calling us out and saying, you don't know him. Don't pretend you know him when you don't do what he asked you to do. You don't know him. Verse 5. But whoever, this is the positive of it, so we go positive, negative, positive, so that's good. But whoever keeps his word, in him the love of God has truly been perfected. By this we know that we are in him. This is the opposite of those of us that on times uh, say we know him and then walk away from his commandments and, and make ourselves liars. But those of us that keep his word, those of us that the times when we're obedient uh, in him, the love of God has truly been perfected. Now, does that mean uh, our, our love for God has been perfected? No, that's not what it's saying. But, but God's love for us has been perfected or made complete. You see, the whole purpose of salvation was well, ultimately to bring glory unto himself, but was to restore a broken people back to himself. And when we who were enemies of God, now made friends of God through the salvation, and have been given everything we need for life and godliness, when we obey God's word, this verse is saying that God's love has truly been perfected or made complete in us. And by this, we know that we are in him. You see, it's interesting because we don't uh, talk a lot about conditional language because we're so used to the unconditional love of God. And we're so uh, used to the unconditional grace, the unconditional mercy. And that's right, nothing that, that we had done. And yet, this is some very conditional language inside of this chapter, isn't it? It's alarming. And John is really laying it on the table here, it, even, uh, even in, in the, the first verse, if we keep his commandments. That, well, if... That's a condition, right? Isn't that surprising? There is an enormous responsibility that, that, that rests on us to continue to walk worthy of the calling, to continue to walk in line with the Lord Jesus. And when we are not walking in line with the Lord Jesus, when our lives are not reflective of his character, We are shaming the grace that God has given us. 
see, this was just, it, it laid me bare, and all of a sudden, at the beginning of the week, week as I'm reading through it, I, I don't really, really want to look into this much. <laughs> this isn't very fun. And yet, uh, the more that, that I, I read it, and the more that I, I felt uh, even the grace of God inside of this, and, and, and continued to have to, I read it, and every time I felt like I had to go back and, and keep reading, but and saying, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That promise he gives us right before he lays into us here. Because without that promise, none of us can match up to this, right? Because this is not saying that there won't be sin in our lives. This is not saying that, that we won't fail. What, what it is saying, that just the, a few verses before, is that when there is sin in our lives, we nail it. We, we call it what it is, and we confess it to the Lord, and we walk away from it. And that's a promise that he will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Boy, what if, what if that wasn't there? Imagine if our sin just kept piling up like dirt. And we just became more and more filthy. It would definitely be hard to tell anyone that, that I knew Jesus if I was constantly covered in my own dirt and filth. And yet that promise that he is faithful to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, we need to be thankful for that. He has said, you know, I, I, I know this is going to be a struggle. I know you will fall. And I'll continue to show you grace. I'll continue to show you mercy. And so even as I read through these hard things, in fact, reading that in, in, in chapter 1 allows us then to take a really hard, honest look in chapter 2 and evaluate, do I really know him? Do I really? Whoever keeps his word. What does that mean to keep his word? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. Anyone kept that perfectly this week? No hands? That's just one of the many things that, that, that God has called us to, hasn't he? And that's the standard. The standard is Christ himself, as we'll see in the next verse. By this, last part of verse 5, by this we know that we are in him. And this is a significant statement. What does it mean that we are in him? And, and thankfully, he, uh, John will answer it. In the next verse here, verse 6, let's read that together. The one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. So the in him is uh, those, by this we know that we are abiding in him. The one who says he abides in him, verse 6, ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. John 15, 5, if you want to turn there. John 15, 5, same guy wrote this. John 15, 5, in the Gospel of John. 
And he said this. This is Jesus talking. Well, he didn't say it. Jesus said it. I am the vine. You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do some things. No. For apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. And that is so key. You see, if we had to be the ones to fulfill what this verse is saying, we'd be in trouble, wouldn't we? If the ability to keep God's commandments rested on my shoulders, I'd be in huge trouble. See, without him, I can do nothing. And, and you know, that, that is in, in the, the reference to spiritually or, or to pleasing the Lord Jesus, I can do nothing without him. I can do a lot of things without Jesus, but when it comes to abiding and pleasing the Lord and keeping his commandments, I can do nothing on my own. On my own, I, I can do a lot of things. I can disobey and I can make more of myself and I can uh, continue to, to struggle and, and to be frustrated and, and, and to hurt others. I'm, I'm really good at those things, actually. But in this verse, John fifteen five, he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. So fruit has to be the evidence of our relationship with God. Fruit has to be the proof that we know God. And if there's no fruit, guess what? You may be saved based on the grace of God alone, but you don't really know God if there's no fruit in your life. You don't really know God if you continue to sin against God. Strong language and scary. And the call is, is even more. The, the one who says he abides in him, basically the one who says, yes, I, I, I am one with Jesus. I have been saved. I, I am different. I am a Christ follower. The one who says that ought to walk in the same manner as he walks. So verse 6 says the standard is Christ himself. The standard is the person of Jesus. I don't know about you, but I, I don't match up to him. You see, he humbled himself to the point of death. He laid down his life for his friends. He had sacrificial humility. He had unconditional love. He had endless faith. He had pure motives. He had joy, peace, patience, kindness, and goodness. And we love to elevate ourselves. We seek fame. In 1998, high schoolers across America were surveyed and they asked, what is your core belief? What is the thing that you hold most valuable? And back in 1998, uh, we said meaningful relationships was the thing that we held most dear. Now, in 2013, I believe the study was, was completed, uh, the same uh, age group of, of high schoolers across the United States were asked, what do you hold most valuable? And fame was their answer. Isn't that interesting? 
But I want us to evaluate this. In my life, one of my biggest struggles are things that I've had to continue to, to try to, to nail down was this desire to be appreciated and loved and acknowledged and, heck, even famous. And there were often times, even as I would dream about my ideal ministry, oh, it's something that I would just love. And it was frightening when, when this came to, when I came to realize how, how pathetic this was. But I pictured myself in, preaching God's word in front of a lot of people. That means, that means you really made it. If, if, if a lot of people know your name because you, you, you preach God's word really well. But for me, at least, that, that desire was all about elevating myself. It was all about me. And even inside of my ministry, I was an adulterer. Even inside of uh, my ministry, I, w- I was having idolatry, and I was wanting to become my own God. Is that scary, that inside of our own desires to minister, if it's not pure, if it's not done with the Spirit's desire, we can, inside of it, because we're, we're pretty messed up on our own, we can uh, add in this motivation to make ourselves look good or ourselves known this is interesting you know the you go to a concert and and there can be thousands i remember seeing uh footage of back when they would uh, meet in wimbledon state um wimbledon uh, stadium uh and uh there would be thousands upon thousands some of the record-setting concerts of of people worshiping the artists that were playing the music, screaming their name. And without their words saying it, but in their hearts saying, that is my God. Football games can draw up to 120,000 in some venues. And someone scores a touchdown and the crowd roars with appreciation. That is our God. And we get really pumped up, actually, and, and uh, if you've been in a, f- a football game that's rocking, boy, you, it's hard not to get excited. If you've been at a concert where the music is loud, people are just going crazy, it is hard not to get drawn in. And yet, I want to present to you that compared to millions upon millions of angels and, and millions of redeemed saints falling on their faces before a holy and infinite God whose immense power and glory washes over all of them as they cry out, holy, holy, holy. I want you to know it doesn't compare. And someday we will be so impressed by the glory of God that according to Philippians, we we won't be able to help ourselves. We'll fall to our knees. Now that was Christ's place in heaven. He was the famous one. And that's what makes the Christmas story so crazy, doesn't it? See, if everything in me wants to become more famous and everything in me wants to be about elevating myself, and yet if I'm going to be like Christ... If I'm going to walk in the same manner, that means the one who we can't even fathom his fame made himself nothing on our behalf. 
You see it as just a completely different mindset. It's, it's a 180 degree from what our flesh desires. To desire to be like Christ is to say, I will be made nothing for God's glory. So the one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walks. So let me present this to us. Those of us that say we abide in him and yet continue in our hearts to elevate ourselves, I want, us, I want you to know something. We don't abide in him. Because we're not walking the way that he walks. I told you this was going to be a fun message. Verse 7, this, this is encouraging. If it had anything to do with us, if it was our own strength, there would be no way. There'd be no way. I've proven that over and over how much I can mess up. On our own strength, there is no way to please God, and yet it is not, doesn't have to be about us. In fact, at the point of salvation, the Holy Spirit lives within us, allows us to please God. And when we abide, when we attach ourselves in fellowship with the person of Christ, when we yield ourselves to Him, when we allow Him to dwell in peace in our lives because of of not, not letting sin and other things get in the way, He can do wonderful and amazing things. We can bear fruit because of Him. And that's exciting. Verse 7, we got to really cruise because we have a few things we want to do here and I got about uh, three more minutes here. Beloved, I am not writing a new commandment to you, but an old commandment, which you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you have heard. So verse 7, he's saying, listen, I'm not telling you anything new. You've heard this for the last 60 years. You've heard this since Jesus came. He's not talking about the old commandment like the Old Testament. He's talking about since Jesus instilled these new concepts. You've heard this. So I'm not telling you necessarily anything new that you haven't heard from the beginning. Verse 8, on the other hand, I am writing a new commandment. Well, make up your mind, John. Verse 8, on the other hand, I am writing a new commandment to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Turn with me, please, uh, to John uh, 12. Let me, I'm sorry, John 15, 12. So stay where we were, actually. This is my command that you love one another just as I have loved you. Verse 13, greater love has no one than this than the one that lay down his life for his friends. John 13, 34 to 35, two pages back probably. A new commandment I give to you, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another even as I have loved you that you also love one another. And listen to this, 35, this is so powerful. By this, meaning as you love one another, by this, all men will know experientially that you are my disciples. If, conditionally, you have love for one another. This is the new commandment that John speaks about in verse 8. And he says, because the darkness is passing away 
and the true light is already shining. Let this encourage your hearts this morning that we, through the power of the Spirit, through God's power, have the ability to destroy darkness. We have the ability as we abide in Christ, as we walk closely to Christ, to abolish, to help darkness pass away and let the true light, Christ, shine through us. Because the darkness is passing away. Isn't that interesting? Doesn't the world seem so horrible and it seems like it's getting worse every day? And it is. And yet, guess what? The redemptive work of Christ is not done. Be encouraged. The darkness is passing away. Satan knows he's losing. Is that crazy? It doesn't feel that way right now, does it? And yet the darkness is passing away. Jesus is restoring souls. Every day he brings more to himself. And every day he puts forth his light into one that was once dark. And the privilege that we have as we abide in Christ to, to help bring that darkness and, and, and just shed it away. To expose uh, the world for what it is and bring light onto Christ and His truth. So then verse 9, the one who says he is in the light and yet hates his brother is in the darkness till now. Now hate is a strong word, and yet I think it's easily defined as the absence of love. I want you to know that there's people that I hate. That's embarrassing to to say to you. The one who says he is in the light, I'd love to tell you that I'm in the light, and yet right now I, I can't tell you that I'm in the light because I have people in my life right now that that I have an absence of love for. That, in essence, without me really being willing to acknowledge it, that that I hate. Verse 10, the one who loves his brother, this is the contrast, this is the beauty, the one who loves his brother abides in the light and there is no cause for stumbling in him. The no cause for stumbling can be uh, both for uh, other people that we encounter. If, if we're walking in the light, other people will not be drawn away from Christ because of who we are. As we're walking in the light, we will only expose the truth and, and help people and not cause people to, to stumble away. And also for our own walk, as we're walking in the light, those things that would normally trip us up, those sins that would steal us away from fellowship with God, those things will not trip us up as we walk and abide in the light. And verse 11, but the one who hates his brother is in the darkness. And listen to this, and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Friends, I want to present this to you. If in your life you feel frustrated, like you don't know what God is is doing, like you don't know what God really wants from you, you feel confused why you don't have joy and peace and patience, I want to present to you that there may be people in your life that, that you are hating, people in your life that you have never forgiven people in your life that you need to, before the Lord, 
forgive and, and give over to him. And I want to let you know that until we do that, according to verse 11, we will walk in darkness and confusion. If we hate our brothers, meaning the absence of love for one another, or anyone in our lives, we cannot say that we know God and be honest. John, 1 John 1, 2, 3-11 are some startling, startling verses. They have the potential to, to lay us bare. The potential to really call us out. I know that I'm a hypocrite because that's, that's what it is when someone says they know God and yet doesn't keep His commandments. I know that I'm walking in darkness because that's what it is if you have someone in your life that, that you have no love for. And I'm really thankful that if we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I'm really, really thankful that it doesn't rely on me to get this all right. In fact, the only time I get it right is when I put myself face down and said, God, I can't do it. You have to. Lord Jesus, I, I need your help. And So let's pray together in that way right now.